Blog Talk Radio. I'm going to lock this door. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Pedro Rico, and as always, we've got a great show for you. I'm glad to be back on the air. been off for a couple of weeks, and uh, as most of you know that have been following the show, I had some, uh, uh, some situations in my personal life. My, uh, my older sister passed away a couple of weeks ago, so obviously I canceled that week. And then, of course, uh, for those of you also that, uh, realize that um, live in the, I live in the Panama City Beach area, and of course, we were hit by uh, Hurricane Michael just uh, uh, about a week and a half ago, almost two weeks now, and uh, that sort of followed uh, uh, the other incident. So I, I took a break from the show to kind of regroup and, and get things uh, sort of uh, on a steady footing. So I want to, uh, first off, thank everybody for uh, those of you that have reached out to me personally to uh, uh, offer condolences on my, on my passing of my sister and also... Uh, well wishes uh, in uh, response to, of course, the hurricane. And obviously I'm on air, so everything was, was good with the hurricane for me anyways, but there are a lot of folks out there that could really uh, use a helping hand. And I want to very quickly thank uh, many of the first responders out there and, and many of those uh, with the utility companies from really all over uh, uh, the United States, not just here in the southeast, but uh, even parts up in Chicago and, and uh, other areas in the northeast that have come down and really pitched in uh, throughout this quarter, um, you know, it was really a, a tough go for a lot of people. And, uh, of course, most of the power has been put back on. So I just want to thank all of them and, and of course, the, the police and firefighters and, and all of the other uh, first responders. I said thank you very much for all of your hard work and your dedication in helping uh, many families uh, uh, reunite with loved ones and, and also, uh, you know, uh, get back to some sort of a semblance of of normalcy, and, and I know it's going to take a while to do that, but we really appreciate all the hard work that you've done. Uh, as I mentioned, we, uh, this is the first uh, show back in a couple of weeks, so uh, give me a second here to, to kind of get my bearings. But uh, I want to uh, remind everybody, of course, the shows are live every uh, Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Best way to find us, of course, is go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. Uh, and you can either tune in live uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, or you can scroll down on the page to the on-demand section afterwards and listen to the recorded version, and all of the recorded versions there are in the on-demand section, uh, so you can listen to any shows that you might have missed uh, previously. Uh, Also, you can tune in to iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now TalkStreamLive.com are some other great social media platforms that you can tune into the show, and again, just type in Golf Talk Live in the search key, and that will uh, take you to those shows uh, or to the show on those platforms as well. So lots of great ways to connect with the show. Got a great show starting off, uh, of course, as always with uh, Coach's Corner, and I'll bring on the, the gang here in just a moment. And a little bit later on the broadcast, going to be joined by my very special guest. Uh, he's coming back for a second time, uh, Ricky Potts. He's the Director of Marketing at the Tipperon Golf Club at the Ritz-Carlton Golf Resort in Naples, Florida. 
Uh, he was on uh, several years ago. In fact, one of the first years that I uh, started the broadcast, and uh, I believe he was living out in Arizona at the time, and now he's uh, relocated back to Naples, Florida, and is heading up the director of marketing at Tiburon Golf Club. So we've got lots to talk about with him on the second half. Uh, but let me, as you may recall, a few weeks ago, uh, I had the launching of a, a new sponsor, GolfSwing.com. Uh, they're going to be sponsoring the Coach's Corner panel segment here on Golf Talk Live uh, from this point forward for a little while, and uh, very, very excited to have them on board. And just tell me a little bit about them. Uh, GolfSwing.com uh, is uh, using its cutting-edge technology uh, and teamed up alongside some of the best golf instructors, coaches, and swing gurus in the business. Uh, together, they have created one of the best video teaching and training online platforms in golf, in my opinion. Uh, if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then join their online video academy and learn from some of the best. In addition to sponsoring the Coach's Corner segment, uh, every week I'm going to be posting a different golf instructional video tip. Uh, the first week, of course, uh, which again was a couple of weeks ago, I featured, uh, funny enough, one of the uh, panelists here tonight, John Decker, uh, featured one of his uh, videos that's uh, on golfswing.com, and I'm going to be featuring another one tonight after the show. So uh, tune in uh, to my social media platforms and you'll see uh, John's second video that I'm going to feature uh, through, uh, throughout the uh, broadcast. Uh, also, uh, join today and watch, practice, and improve your game on GolfSwing.com. Visit the link after the show, and you can check out uh, what a great uh, platform it is. Um, now, as far as uh, my panelists, let me tell you a little bit about them. As I mentioned, John Decker is on the, the panel. He's currently a teacher professional at the New Albany Country Club, and he's also an instructor uh, with GolfSwing.com. Uh, back in 2015, he was named the Southern uh, Ohio Teacher of the Year. Uh, prior to that, he was a head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando, uh, where he worked under top 100 instructors Fred Griffin and, of course, the late Phil Rogers. Uh, also, he's an author of a great book, Golf Is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which, of course, includes an accompanying uh, Bible study. Uh, plus, he's a, a really a great motivational speaker as well, so uh, you might want to reach out to him after the show and and uh, he can uh, guide you in that direction. Uh, also joining out the panel again is Alicia Larson. She's a Class A LBJ teacher professional and founder and president of Gratitude Golf, uh, also the author of The Missing Link, The Powerful Role of Self-Talk uh, in the Mind Game of Golf, uh, coaches everybody uh, in golf from beginners, intermediate to advanced players. And last but not least, uh, my good friend rounding up the panel, of course, is Clint Wright. Uh, Clint is a 30-year member of the PGA, a partner at TGM Golf, and a big proponent of the R3 approach, and one of the best, in my opinion, covering the short game today, and one of my favorite guests and panelists here on Coach's Corner. So, guys, uh, welcome back to Coach's Corner uh, here on Golf Talk Live. Glad to be here, Thank Ted. You. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Always uh, glad to have everybody on. Um, let me just first, by saying you guys have uh, a lot of uh, great accolades to, to read out, and uh, um, it's just uh, an honor to have all of you on the show, and I appreciate that. And uh, hopefully the, the audience will, uh, will bear with me. Uh, I want to always give credit to where credit is due. You guys do a lot of hard work out there, and you deserve every, uh, every ounce of credit uh, that I've just mentioned. So uh, thank you again for joining me and giving up your time always here on the Coach's Corner panel. Um, all right, I'm going to do things a little bit differently uh, tonight. Uh, I'm going to – I've got some great questions here for the panel and I'm going to start, if you don't mind, Alicia, with you. Uh, I believe in ladies first, giving you the honor. And uh, I'm going to uh, do you first, and then Clint, and then John Decker, uh, and then we'll switch it up a, a little bit as we go along. Um, so, Alicia, okay. my first question here 
for you is obviously every golfer uh, varies in their abilities and understanding of technique. Um, what typically, in, in your opinion, what typically is needed or required in developing uh, some of the basics of golf? Uh, I, I mean, I, the first thought that comes to mind is their understanding of their importance. You know, when you talk about the fundamentals and, uh, you know, I had the, the opportunity to work with and do some golf digest schools when I was working at uh, Eagle Ridge and they, you know, they, they had four, the basic, you know, the four fundamentals, and then they added two more onto them, uh, with the grip and posture and ball position. And then they, they added uh, mindset and tension level you know, how much are they thinking over the ball and how, you know, how tense are they? But uh, I, I think that the people need to understand the importance of the technique is kind of driven around those, uh, uh, you know, as we know that Ben Hogan said, a good swing starts with a good grip and kind of those, those sayings that we have out there as instructors. And, and uh, I, I think that uh, when I was working for golf digest, we, you know, they said that 90% of the problems, Typically, 90% of the problems that golfers encounter with their golf swing are due to something they do before they move. 90% is pretty high, but uh, you know, I've seen a lot of change in golfers when you talk about the fundamentals changing their techniques and how they, how they swing. Right, uh, and I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, Clint, what about you? Um, as I mentioned, obviously golfers uh, uh, vary in their abilities and, and certain understanding of the game. And... Uh, you know, what typically do you think is needed or, or would you say is required in developing some of the basics? Is there anything on the student's part that maybe um, would be helpful? And what about from the instructor's part, especially with working with new, new uh, golfers out there? What, what do you think is typically needed or required to help them to develop and understand the basics of golf? Well, one of the things I think Lisa said it pretty well, but it – it really comes down to being able to explain and intellectually understand there's a difference between fundamentals and style and technique. I think a lot of people get involved in that. They read books, they read the magazines, and they're really hearing a technique of a certain player. You know, they got their best tour player, their favorite tour player, and they look at how they swing, and that's a style and technique, and sometimes they mistake that as being a fundamental way that we all should play. And right. so what I try to, try to do is to make sure they understand the difference between a fundamental thing that all good players do that may take on a different style and technique with each player. So what I try to get them to do is to understand how their body shape, size, athletic ability – fit into the fundamental thing they must do and develop their own style and technique, but it comes from the fundamental side, not the technique side. Right. Well make, said. And, and I, okay. yeah, that, yeah, no, that's perfect. You know, and, and I agree with that, Clint. I think that it, it, it's important that people understand that, you know, obviously there are certain commonalities that we all need to have, uh, especially when we're first learning the game, um, you know, obviously starting with a good grip, and as Alicia had, had mentioned. Um, and obviously there, there can be variances there, again, depending on the, the player's abilities um, and different styles of grips out there, um, as we all know. But, again, when you're talking about techniques and that, it, it's going to vary quite a bit from player to player, again, depending on their um, athletic abilities and also depending on their body uh, style, whether they're tall or short or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, thin or, or what have you. 
Um, so there's a lot of generalities there that can be uh, copied, but there's also specifics that need to, uh, to be uh, very unique and different. John, what about you? Um, with your um, – and I'm going to just ask very quickly if, if – um, I'm picking up some back. Yeah, I'm picking up some feedback. If I can get somebody to mute their mic, um, if that's them. Um, John, I want to throw. Yeah, I want to throw this to you now. Uh, The same question. Obviously, everybody varies in their abilities and understandings. What do you think, in your opinion, is typically needed or required uh, to develop and understand some of the basic golf? Thanks uh, again, Ted, for having me on the show. I think Alicia and Clint, uh, you know, obviously talking about the, the setup is, is one of the major things. Um, the the first thing that that I look at when when I'm when I'm working with uh, players for the first time and new players, I, I really want to focus on uh, teaching them to to play from the ground up. So the first thing I'm going to look at is their ball position. I'm going to look at their distance from the ball. Those things. I uh, look at their weight distribution, knee flex, posture, uh, and then I'll look at their grip. And, th- and that might take up uh, an entire first day of a lesson if it's a golf school or it might take up the, the, the lesson itself. But basically, uh, you know, learning how to control where the club hits the ground is one of the most basic things that I try to teach any player. Um, the better you are as a player, the better you can control where your club hits the ground. And, and um, you know, if you look at a high handicapper, they might make a huge divot on one swing, and they may not touch the ground on the next swing. And if you look at a really elite player, every swing, the depth of their divots, their, their, the location of their divots, and the shape of their divots, the direction of their divots, all of those things are consistent on, a, on a, you know, swing after swing. So teaching, you know, from the ground up is one of the most basic things that I do with any golf school or with any uh, student. Uh, I want the student to be aware of that, and I think that's a great way to start. Uh, because then once you start looking at their swing, there's so many fundamental things that you could cover from there based on whether they can hit the ground or not. Right, right. And, and I, I, you know, I, I think we all understand, um, you know, things are going to vary player to player in a lot of um, – you know, a lot of students that we get come in, uh, as Clint pointed out, you know, a lot of times we'll see their favorite player on TV and we'll want to mimic certain things. Um, and, you know, if, if they have a similar body type and body style and even within reason uh, a relatively uh, equal uh, athletic ability, certain things can be certainly mimicked. But, uh, again, our bodies move in, in unison very uniquely to one, uh, to one another and differently. And I think if we try to copy... Uh, or force uh, movements that maybe our body style or type uh, isn't used to or, or isn't well adjusted to, I think you're just asking for uh, borrow trouble. So um, those are some great uh, keys, I think, to, to keep in mind as well. Um, Clint, uh, I'm going to jump to you now for, for this uh, question. I think this will be right up your alley. Um, again, we're going to talk uh, generally for, for new golfers in this, um, you know, generally starting with learning the basics. Uh, should they start to learn the basics, or should they be taught one area of the game first before moving on? And if so, why? Well, I'm going to if, – if I've got a new student coming in, obviously I'm going to start them on the putting green. We've talked about this before. And right. I'm going to teach them some of those basics on how to properly grip the club, how we should be standing, posture, uh, all the way through the putting and chipping and pitching, 
I'm focused on where I'm going to, if I if I'm, am going to work with them on their full swing, I'm going to prepare the beginner for that through the short game area. Um, simply making sure they can grip the club, they're well balanced when they start, set up, posture, everything we're talking about. And so, therefore, I don't see that as being segmented. I just mm-hmm. choose to start in the small swings, build the fundamentals into their setup and everything to when they're going to start making a full body move that they're going to be prepared for that. And right. so, I, I, no, I don't agree. I don't think that you go to a, a specific thing. I think you begin them in an area that, that they need to, to start in, the simplest area, I believe, but always with the end game in mind and where you're going to be when they take that first full swing. And I, I you know, the answer I was going to give you, I think you knew I'm going to start them with putting, chipping, pitching, and work towards that full swing balance and mentality. You know that. Right. And, I, and uh, you know, as I said in the beginning, Clint, uh, that's why I consider you to be one of the best in the short game uh, in, in today's, uh, uh, even in today's modern times, because you have that understanding. And I think that, you know, a lot of times people want to come out to the driving range. They want to pull out that driver first thing and, and learn the game and think that's where they've got to start. And yes, you know, when you're hitting off tee number one, you know, you might need your driver there, but uh, you need to learn and understand the basics and the fundamentals of golf. And a lot of times you can learn that working from green back to the tee, uh, as you're suggesting here. So, um, John, same question to you. Um, You know, do we want to uh, teach them right from the bat, uh, you know, to grip it and rip it uh, uh, or what have you, or, or, or do you feel along the same lines as, as what Clint just suggested? No, Clint, I mean, for a beginner, uh, Clint stole my thunder. That's exactly what I, I would do <laughs> if, I get, if I get a beginner. Um, <laughs> that's the ideal scenario. But I, I always keep in mind, um, and, and, you know, when, when I'm working with a student, a lot of times the student comes in and they will rely 100% on on what I'm telling them. But sometimes they'll come in with a preconceived idea of what they think they need to work on. So I try to I try to uh, with a new player spend some time delving into you know how much of a beginner are you you know do you you know and some asking them some basic questions and I think everyone on the panel would probably do that to some degree uh, to get an idea of what they are expecting to 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 you know out of the lesson but but I ultimately I want to uh, address the short game. Because um, I want to, by doing that, you know, you can kind of get into, hey, here's the whole object of the game. Because a lot of times when you, I've had people who've gone to the driving range who are total beginners, and they've looked at, you know, all the flags out there, and then they go to the golf course and they go, where are all the flags? And and I explain to them, those are only on the driving range, that's not on the golf course. So you just have to put your yourself in their mindset that they don't know anything you know and so you have to basically right. explain uh, everything from how to operate the cart to tee times all those things uh, are part of initial lesson but i agree uh, you know the first lesson i really want to make sure and be on the short game and i feel like that's one area that that everyone can learn especially in the putting uh, you know right away at least have a concept of it yeah, and, and I would agree with you as well. And I I just have to add, John, real quick, I think that's the first for me. I don't think I've ever heard – I don't think I've ever in all the years that I've taught, have I ever had a student come up and ask me that question, where all the flags are? I have. That, that's I've a seen class. it all. I've seen it all. <laughs> I, 
I said, no, that's, that's, uh, you know, they, it was, uh, they were completely serious. They're like, well, when I got out there, I didn't see any flags. And I was like, no, that's on the driving range. Uh, you know, the, the whole, the golf course is another, another animal. So, um, yeah, I was used yeah. to that down in Florida. A lot of our golf schools, we would get a lot of people, we'd work with them in the morning and then they'd go out and play golf, you know, with their, with their husband or wife or, or whatever. So, um, we got to see a lot of, uh, interesting experiences there. I'm sure. Um, Alicia, what about you? Uh, again, I, you know, I know this might seem a little bit repetitive, but um, let me let me throw a, a little bit of a curve uh, to you here with, with the same question. You know, John raised a very interesting point. That a lot of students sometimes, even beginning students, um, maybe they've been surfing online a little bit. They've been trying to get prepared for this first experience um, by researching a little bit, and they've seen a bunch of videos or they've you know, listen to a lot of these, you know, so-called online golf gurus that, that we see so often. And they've kind of come with a preconceived notion. So do you like to, uh, you know, obviously talk to them and have some uh, questions for them, obviously to get a feel for, for what they're looking for, obviously. Um, but do you like to typically start them in a specific area um, of basics? Or do you just sort of say, okay, let's start with the grip and everything first and, and go right down the gamut? What's your thoughts? Well, I, Clint and John stole my thunder. I'm I'm joking. Um, they, because it, you know the the idea that uh, that you start you know on the putting green or you start with a shorter game is is certainly a, a preferred method, uh, I believe. Um, so, you know, when I usually sit down, I don't care you know if they've just begun or whatever. It's like they have they do have these preconceived notions about um, you know what they think they should do and, and shouldn't do. And if they, even if they played a little bit and so you, you kind of, I, I like to pick their brain a little bit. I sit down with them and say, well, you know what, you know, you, you're seeking golf instruction and tell me what you'd like to achieve with this. Do you just want to have fun and go out and play with your friends or you want, you know, some say they don't want to be embarrassed. Uh, you know, they, they, I just want to be able to hit the ball uh, or, you know, they just want to learn more. They're little sponges. And so I, I, I really, I like to kind of, sit with them first and chat for a few minutes anyway and then you know I I, I do like to start with the smaller swings uh, because they get, they can have some many successes with smaller swings and then kind of getting bigger if they're if they're be beginners or even if they're having trouble and difficulty just finding the ball in the club face um, you know just go back to a small swing if I've got somebody who I've worked with for a while and they're just you know they're they, they may be starting to flip at it or the pace is a little bit you know off I just say you know slow your swing down and just let's just try to get the ball on the face of the club again and feel that again. So I'll go smaller swings. So, you know, I can always rely on that. And, and I think that they feel like they're, they're progressively kind of just getting bigger as they go and, and they can, they can sense some, some success. And that's really important in the beginning stages. I think if, if golf instructors don't, you know, uh, tell them that this is, you know, this is an interesting game and there's, you got to have a lot of patience with it and, you know, just, here's what's happening and that sort of thing. And they can get discouraged quite quickly and quit. And that's the last thing that all, you know, any of us want. So uh, we've right. got to just stay with them and start out small and, and then just get bigger. And, and, you know, my coach used to say that as soon as you start introducing the wrist activity, that's when things can go awry pretty, pretty fast and quickly because now you're starting about, you know, setting wrists and, you know, the, the rotations and things like that with your body and what your hands are doing. And, and, you know, there's just a lot more things that can go wrong. Or, or just get a little more complicated. So, uh, I've always liked starting from the from for, with the beginners from 
either the putting green or small chips and then out. So I'm right now I'm working with all my juniors, um, all my, in my Academy. And I, we're, you know, we're talking about winning with wedges and we're, uh, you know, they, they, ha- they, we're starting at 40 yards and uh, we're going to get yeah. good contact. Their takeaway is going to be the same as it is on their driver. So I said to them, listen, you want this takeaway, you know, to be very similar to your driver takeaway or your seven iron takeaway. So we're kind of, you know, accomplishing two things and, and you know, at once while we're trying to downswing is going to be somewhat similar and, and that sort of thing. So we're going smaller and then getting bigger. We're going to 40 and then through all the way through a hundred yards. And then we're going to go into full swing. So um, it's, it's wow. very helpful to start smaller. Yeah. That's working yeah. fabulously. I, I, I can't, and they're feeling like, wow, their spectrum, their misses are better. They're starting to understand not really releasing and casting and they're, they're able to feel it, and then you start talking about, okay, now I'm going to have you go 40 yards, then 70 yards, then I'm going to have you go 30 or 50, and then I'm going to have you go 90 and see if they can bring it up in one swing because, quite frankly, that's all we get when we get out there is we get one crack at it, and they have to be able to know right. how big their swing is and the size, the intensity they hit it with, and, and that's all with wedges. So um, right. that's, there's no big secret in that that – you know the the large percentage of their people scores from 100 yards and in, so it's it's advisable yep. on all all levels. Yeah. Well said. I I agree. And and guys, do you think as a general rule um, that this should be followed? I think for for new golfers and and uh, um, I think one of the problems that I hear a lot of times when I talk to uh, golfers is a lot of times I will reach out to are sort of everyday average golfers and particularly new golfers and kind of pick their brains. I do it for a number of reasons. One obviously gives me some information that I can use on the shows, but just to kind of get some of their thought. And one of the, 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 I guess I don't, I hate to use the word complaints is that quite often they're given too much information too quickly uh, and they're not able to process. So you think it's also a good idea, obviously to, to work as, as you all just suggested uh, with especially our newer golfers, uh, you know, to start them a little smaller, if you will, maybe on the putting green or some chips and working with their wedges. But do you also think, as a general rule, guys, that we need to keep, especially the first lesson, maybe even the first couple lessons, um, really to a minimal, if you will, and not overwhelm them with too much information? I'm going to go right down the panel, John, then Alicia, and then Clint. What are your, what are your thoughts very quickly, John? That is a great point, uh, Chad. Uh, my my uh, former boss, Fred Griffin, uh, he told me that the key to teaching is knowing how much to give the student. That is, that is, and that's experience. And that is the most common mistake that I see uh, a lot of young teachers make is they overload the student, they give them too much. And you have to be able to recognize, and because you're dealing with human beings, and there are some people that are like sponges, and they want it, and they can absorb it, and there's other people that you can only do one thing. I mean, all you can focus on is the grip. And you can't look at yourself and go, well, I'm failing as a teacher because all we accomplished today was the grip. Sometimes that's all you can accomplish. So, so I think that's experience as a teacher, and students need to understand that this is a difficult journey, and, um, and some people catch on faster than others. So I think that knowing how much to give the students is very important. Right. Uh, Alicia, what about you? Uh, do you agree with that as well, that uh, when we're you know, dealing particularly with, with new students, that we have to be cautious, that we don't overload them with a lot of information up front, 
um, as, as John just mentioned, because that sometimes can be overwhelming. And a lot of times that can actually be a deterrent from them wanting to continue on. What are your thoughts? That was for uh, Alicia. Did you hear that? Yes, I'm sorry. Um, I, I, gr- I agree 100%. No, <laughs> um, I, I think that um, I, when I was a speaker at events, I would ask people, you know, they'd say, oh, I, t- I, took, I played golf one time and I quit. And, I, you know, I'd ask them, you know, why did you quit? And they said I just got confused and it, was just, it just seemed that it wasn't my game or whatever because they just got – they basically were explaining they got too much information too soon. And, um, you know, I, I, when I moved to Columbus, Ohio, I had, uh, I had a chance to talk to Chuck Hogan one time, and he's a sports psychologist that's pretty well known around the world probably. And um, he said, you know, I called him and I said, wow, I used to only give half-hour lessons or hour lessons, and and uh, I came to this facility and they want me to give half-hour lessons. And so it was interesting, and, he, and I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm so used to, like, talking to – the golfers, you know, and maybe just watching supervised practice kind of thing. And I said, sometimes I give them, you know, two things to work on in an hour. And he goes, be careful because two is sometimes one too many. And I never forgot right. that because, you know, if you start giving more add on to this and then add on to that, and then you, and then they just don't know, they'll, they'll be, a, you know, they'll be able to master nothing that you've asked them. They'll be a jack of all trades and a master of none. So it's kind of right. like, <laughs> I, I, to, I totally agree with everything relative to the, you know, you can't you got to you can't feed them with a fire hose. You must spoon feed them um, because they do they 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 will process. And you know, I could even I want, I'll go even so far as to say some one time I was talking about the grip to somebody and they seemed confused. So I took my son and said, "Hey, write these down as I'm you know thinking about them. I'm just talking out loud." And so we you know like you know you put your left hand here and you can you can kind of get so detailed. It can you know you can have this list of things that you want to where do you want your hands to be. And, you know, you don't want to get six, seven things that I got to do with my hands and it's just one piece. But to the beginner, it's a lot of steps. And so that 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 even can be overwhelming. So, yeah, it's, you got to right. be very gentle with with how much information you give them. Right. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, Clint, I'm pretty sure you agree uh, with that line of thought as well, that sometimes uh, too much information uh, can be uh, detrimental to uh, to good teaching, and there's a lot of guys out there, especially. And I, and we're not certainly. Uh, let me just preface this uh, response here. We're not, um, you know, trying to make light of of uh, our fellow professionals out there. But at the same time, I think especially some of the younger ones get caught up in all the technology out there and want to kind of show off a little bit what's what's new and exciting. And and it is very exciting for for a lot but it can be very overwhelming for a lot of our students out there uh, if too much is given. So what do you think, Clint? Uh, do you agree with that? Or Well, or, yeah, uh, yeah I, I agree with some of that. But I think that, that one of the things that we as instructors have to do is, obviously, I, I think at least John would agree with this, you have to understand your student when you're going in. Mm-hmm. You have to understand where they want to go and where you can take them. And so you, you look at point. I know we price our services by the hour, and I, I think a lot of instructors, and, and me included at, at some times in my career, would say, okay, you got an hour lesson, let's go out here in 90-degree weather, and we're going to spend an hour, because that's what the person's paying for. But then, mm-hmm. you know, just a few years ago, I realized that I was making a mistake doing that, 
So when I give a lesson, I we price it by the hour. But I've had students that I'd go out and spend 10 or 15 minutes with. You work on this. I'll see you tomorrow. Or I'll see you three days from now. And there's many times right. that I'll get together with a student now three, four, five times for that one hour worth of service. Mm-hmm. Because there are certain things you don't want to take them too fast. They, they, they have to deal with a certain thing. And, and what I focus on now is that maybe they're having trouble lining up their putter. So here's the process we want to do. I want you to rehearse and work on that for a little while. Let's get together at the end of the week and see how far you've come along with that. It only takes 10 or 15 minutes to go through that process. Give the student enough time to work on their own with it, and don't burn up all their service time. Just stand there and watch them hit putts. And because yeah. the longer you stand there, the more they're going to want you to give them something else. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I've been focusing on lately is discipline and focus. One of the reasons that a lot of our students don't improve is they can't stay focused enough to be disciplined on the one thing they need to make better. And then we can move on. And so I've gotten down to where I, I give a person an hour rate that says, I'm going to get with you three or four times probably within that hour's time. And uh, yeah. so, so that's that's the way I look at it now. So, yeah, and I, you know, I know that sounds simplistic, but it's just the way I I do start doing my service. And I think that instructors um, would far better help their students if they said, okay, we're going to accomplish this one thing today. That's all we really need to focus on. If we get that, it'll make everything else easier. You, you know, and then move on, not basically by the hour or the half hour but by the accomplishment of where the student wants to be and where you can take them. And I just find that to be a better yeah. approach. Yeah, and that's an interesting point because you're, you're right. I mean, a lot of times, uh, again, going back to what we were just talking about, is sometimes there might be one uh, or there might be two, but very key elements that they need to work on. And a lot of times we're giving them information in addition to what they really need or want um, and, Absolutely. and now they're they're getting conf- yeah getting confused with that, or they're spending a lot of time on four or five different things in that hour lesson. When when really all that's maybe needed, as you said, if it's just difficulty lining up for putts um, or distance control or something along that line, there's things that we can focus right. on. And I, I think uh, you all have said this tonight, but I think really the, the number one factor for us as instructors is to listen. Uh, to our students and find out really and delve into what it is that they want. What are they looking to accomplish? Um, Because that really dictates and sets up what kind of a plan we're going to put together for them. Because we can get up there and say, well, here's what you need or here's what I think you need, but it may may not necessarily be what they uh, need, want, or desire. And uh, a lot of times this adds to the frustration as well. Um, Great answers, guys. They're very interesting. Uh, Everybody sort of had a little bit uh, obviously very similar, but some, some different things they added to it. So that was a, a great discussion. Um, all right, John, I'm going to start back up uh, on top with you, and then we'll work right back down uh, on, on this question here. In your experience, what typically uh, have you found that gives amateurs the most, and I'm, I'm talking again our higher handicap golfers, obviously, uh, most difficulty on the course, and how do you specifically, so based on your experience, what are some common things that you see that they're having the most difficulty with and how do you address them in your lesson plans? 
Uh, that's a that's a great question. I mean, um, I would say the the one area that I I see the, the most consistent problem with is is in the is in the pitching off like tight lies in that area. Uh, the the twenty the uh, maybe fifty yard. Um, I'm hearing somebody up there. I don't know if that's uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm getting a lot of, uh, I'm not sure who it is, but I'm getting a lot of feedback in the background as well. Can, can somebody, can they mute their mic, and whoever it is, mute their mic just uh, so that John can answer, because it's, it's, uh, it's distracting, I apologize. Uh, go ahead, John. But, but I really see, um, you know, it's amazing how many people I see can, that can hit the full shot. Uh, and, you know, maybe maybe it takes them three shots and they get right in front of the green, and then they either chunk it and it goes, you know, 10 feet, or they skull it over the green. And so when they should be making uh, maybe a par bogey, double bogey at the, at the most, they end up making triple or higher. Sometimes they don't even finish the hole. So I really spend a lot of time on, on pitching, uh, you know, and, and learning those shots because I, 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 and I try to explain to to all my students, it doesn't matter whether you're a tour player or a beginner. Eventually, you're going to have this shot. Um, there's just certain shots that, that come up on the golf course. And most people, when they come up on the golf course and they come to a hole, they come up short of the hole. And so they have to hit that, you know, 20 to 50-yard shot. And so I spend a lot of time on that. And it looks – and I always tell people, it looks like an easy shot, but it's really not. It's, it's a very difficult shot, even for an advanced player. Uh, especially when you're dealing with going over bunkers and, and t- you know, tight pins and things like that. So um, I think that that's probably the most common thing I see, um, you know, out there. Right. Well said. Um, Alicia, what about you? Uh, based on, on your experiences as, a, as an instructor, uh, you obviously, in addition to working with advanced players, you obviously work with a lot of amateurs as well. And uh, many of them struggle uh, out on the golf course. What's typically some of the more common ones that you see, and what specifically are, are there specific drills or the things that you tend to do to to uh, help them uh, address those issues? Well, I certainly agree with the, the pitching. Uh, that's that's definitely a tough shot for, and that's why I'm going right for that. Um, starting in the winter months to work with my my junior golfers that are playing competitively. Because uh, I've you know witnessed over and over them being 40 to 75 to 80, 90 yards out, and they you know they can't get on the green or they they chunk it and then they get on the next one and then they three putt or whatever. So there's shots thrown away time and time again. Um, one the other thing that comes to mind um, strongly is uh, feeling comfortable on the putting green. Uh, I think a lot of golfers struggle with that. They they look at a tiny little hole and they don't think about the bigger, you know, like maybe a, a ring around the hole to try to get just, you know, it's either close or in. So they, they always think they have to, you know, I got to make this. Well, if you just think close, you're probably going to three putt or four putt less. I just need to get, you know, when close is relative to the original length of the putt. But, but um, I think that they, they just, they struggle on the lagging part of putting and then being comfortable on the greens and, and, and maintaining their rhythm. Um, so that they're, you know, they're going way by in the first putt, and then they think, oh, I got to hit this softer, and then they're short, 
and then they then they get kind of angst when they get closer and they peek or they look up and they miss a two footer or you know three footer whatever so they just kind of it it kind of spirals but the the i think the biggest uh area that that most of my golfers is you know struggle with is also maybe the top and uh, on the greens is reading the greens i think there's yeah. there's so many dynamics to reading the greens you know that the it's just a Gosh, I always say to the kids, you know, that, that's a, the more you play, the better you're going to get at reading the greens. You just get better at it. But at the at the end of the day, you know, the best in the world are are standing there, kind of with their caddies evaluating and saying, okay, how much do you think this is going to break? So they're guessing. They're just a better guessers than we are, and that than than yeah. the amateurs are. So we're all guessing. Um, we're all standing there going, well, I think it's you know three inches. Well, I think it's two. Well, you know, how about that line right there? And you know, so we're all just literally guessing. So reading the greens, you could have a, a person lag that putt up quite nicely, but if they misread it, you know, I've I've had tons of putts in pro-ams and pro-pros and, hey, partner, that was a great putt. And I said, yeah, I just misread it. <laughs> so, you, you, you know, you, you putted it exactly where you thought it would go. And so I think that's a big, that's a really big thing that I don't know, you know, I mean, Dave Pell's taught me so well about putting and that you're always putting on a straight line. When I went to his golf schools back in the early, you know, a long time, this is dating me, but it was in the 80s um, and, and 90s. Um, but he, you know, he taught, he just had such a great sense of, you know, making it kind of simple. And that, to me, stuck with me saying, you're going to you're gonna putt this. And, of course, you're going to guess two inches to the right of the hole, but you're always going to putt, you know, you got to get that putt starting on the start line. And you're, that's a straight line then it's deciding how hard you're going to hit it. So there's so many variables. When I played in the, the north-south on Pinehurst number two, and I had a caddy, and his name was Willie, and I said, hey, Willie, what do you think about this putt? And he goes, well, Miss Alicia, how hard are you going to hit it? <laughs> He's like, <laughs> if you're going to hit it, if you're a bold putter and you're going to hit it firm, and I'm going to tell you it's only, you know, it's just right inside the right edge or, you know, right at it. But if you're going to lag it up there, he said, I'm going to go outside right edge. So, yeah. There's so much to learn for golfers in that that I think that's one of the things that that really differentiates you know an, a well experienced golfer from somebody who's just maybe even playing for a while but you know trying to learn the the ropes and that but experience non experienced golfers really have to understand the dynamics of that too. Yeah, and, and that's well said, and, and I agree. I think that for a lot of our amateur golfers, I think you know obviously. Uh, you know, they don't have the benefit of out there playing every day uh, as, as the pros do and, and, you know, practice sessions uh, to the extent that they just don't have the time uh, or the resources to do that. So obviously there's going to be a, a vast difference. Um, and, and Clint, I want to, I want to get you to share something here, because I think this is something you, you mentioned on a show a while back and I think it, it bears uh, mentioning one more time, but since Alicia mentioned about putting and I know this is an area you're going to go to anyways, um, but you, mm-hmm. you raised a very interesting point about uh, creating a benchmark. Why don't you share that uh, oh, yeah. thought with us again on the Let, show? Because I think this is something I'll, I'll, our I'll listeners do, can I, get. Yeah, I'll do that. Let me let me go back to what they were saying. Let me summarize what both of them said. The biggest mm-hmm. trouble that people have in this game is they can't finish. They just simply can't mm-hmm. finish. All right. If you look at the rule book. The objective of the game is to put the ball in the hole. They can't finish. Mm -hmm. And that's why we focus on the third shot. John brought it up. If they could hit the third shot good, they could could finish. 
you know, Alicia brings up the point about the difficulty of the size of the hole. You do know that we play a game on the largest playing field ever used to the smallest target of any sport played. Mm-hmm. That we have people that hit a ball into acres trying to play to inches. So they have a difficult time ratcheting down their approach from trying to hit a driver in the fairway to trying to make a three-foot putt into four and a quarter inches. So what I try to get people to do, and we'll talk about this, the, the lag putting, is to understand that they're more focused on the four and a quarter inches. That's what matters. Downrange, downrange, third shot. That's, and that's where I find that most people have difficulty. And I, I see a lot of high school golfers that can, that just astounds me that they'll, John made a point, they get up to the green in two and make a seven. Because they just play, you know, they play croquet with it for a couple of shots. And if they could just <laughs> learn to pitch, but if you took that kid out for a lesson, they're going to hit their driver. So if they'll focus on that. Yeah. But back to your question about, about um, benchmarking. If you have a student that's having trouble lag putting, you have to teach them, I think, three basic benchmark strokes. And the benchmarks basically is how far I take it back. My benchmark generally is to my right toe or just outside the right toe or inside. There's three benchmarks there. And what you try to get a student to understand is that every day they go to the practice putting green, find the place that's the flattest on that green, and make their benchmark stroke and determine how far it goes that day. They have something to work with. It's no different than understanding you hit your eight iron 150 yards, but you're only 145. So now what do I do? You know, do I add a little more to my nine or do I take on something off the eight? It gives me information and data for that day with something that I use every day. My benchmark Mm -hmm. stroke I use every day to try to determine the data I need to take to the golf course to help my lag putting that day. The green superintendent didn't mow the greens today, so they're slower, so my benchmark stroke won't roll as far. Maybe this time of year where we're at, the low humidity, the greens get really fast, my benchmark stroke goes further. But I can determine that information on a daily basis, so when I go to the golf course, I got something to work with now. Mm-hmm. I'm not just wild guessing on how hard to hit a 30-footer. And, and we all know that three putts don't come from missing two footers. Three putts comes from leaving it five feet away. Right. So those benchmarks, that benchmark approach, I have had great success with helping people eliminate a lot of three putts by them understanding that benchmark stroke for their first putt, which is generally outside of 25 feet. Okay. Yeah, that's that's perfect. And, you know, the, the, the reason, Clint, you know, when you first mentioned that uh, earlier in the season and, you know, I wanted you to, to mention it again because this is an area, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, a lot of, especially our junior golfers and younger golfers, you know, they're hitting at a mile now. Um, not every case, but, you know, they're, they're pretty accurate. They can get to the, to the green in two or certainly three, uh, depending on their abilities. But once they get on the putting surface, it's just like all bets are off. And I, I like the fact that you have taken a part of the game that most of the golfers out there spend very, very little time. I mean, most golfers, and, and please 
anybody jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, but they'll go out to the practice tee and uh, before a round and they'll, you know, get out their driver, they'll hit a, uh, you know, a few drives and they'll get out their wedges and, you know, maybe hit a few wedges and then they'll go to putting and they'll hit maybe uh, half a dozen if they have time, uh, maybe to a dozen putts. Um, you know, they'll hit a few three foot putts. They'll make a couple of lag from one end of the green to the other, uh, but they're not really with any sort of purpose. They're not practicing with any sort of purpose to, to develop those benchmarks for the day. And, and that's what we see time and time again. So when they get out on the golf course and they understand, or they rather don't understand why nothing is sort of falling into place. It's because they have nothing to work with when they get out in the golf course. They're thinking about how they played last week when the greens, you know, Clint, as you mentioned, were maybe a little slicker right. or maybe they're a little slower. And so they go out there and say, well, I remember when I was here last Tuesday and the greens were pretty quick, so I need to putt a little softer. And the next thing you know, they're not getting anywhere near the hole uh, with their leg putt. So I, I agree. I think that's a great point to make. And I want the listeners out there uh, to go back after the show and listen to that part uh, again and again and again, because you, you laid it out very perfectly, in my opinion, um, what people need to do when they uh, get ready to go out and play, what they need to do is, is uh, work on that, uh, that benchmark. And that was a great point. Um, guys, I want to, I want to wrap up. Uh, we've only got a few minutes uh, left here, but um, we're getting towards the, the end of the season for some, obviously uh, for Clint and I and, and others that are here in the Southeast uh, or even in the Southwest um, have a, you know, certainly a few more months that we can go. We can pretty much play all year round in, in most cases um, so we've got a little bit longer season, and, and for those of you up in the, the Northeast, you're either have wound down or are getting close to winding down the season. Uh, any final thoughts of what you want to suggest to our listeners out there? And I'm going to go in reverse. So Clint, take a deep breath, and then we'll go up you, Alicia, and then okay. John finish off. Um, okay. What, what you want to suggest to the uh, listeners out there, how they can end their season with success and start gearing up for next season. Yeah, well, it, uh, again, obviously, if, the, if you're in the, the northern part of the, the country, your season's kind of winding down very quickly here. But I know when I was in Wisconsin for a number of years, you know, from middle of April to the first of October, I would always try to encourage people that they were playing good to make some notes about the path that they had taken to get there. What were they working on a month before they started playing good? What steps did they take? to get them to where they felt comfortable with their game. Write it down, because that's the path that you want to take come April. You want to start over with that. You don't want to just jump in the middle. you you got to get yourself back into playing shape. So I always encourage them to make notes about what they had worked on that season and the, particularly the order that they worked on it, to where they could know, all right, the, how I got to be a good player by September was I was doing this from June and July forward. So they can start over quicker instead of being uh, September, maybe they start playing better in May because they have not lost that progression of progress. Okay. And so that I would encourage them very much to, to write, even where we're at, write notes down to how you got to where you wanted to be or the things you worked on that didn't work to where you don't repeat them next season. But I, I think that that, that, I always say, uh, you know, the, the path to success type idea of step A, step B, right on down to how you did it, and to remember that path come next April. I think that's a very important step. I would agree with that as well. Um, Alicia, what about you? Uh, we're, we're winding down the season for some, and, and uh, 
you know, what would you suggest to some of our listeners out there if they want to uh, finish with a successful season? What are some things that they can do and, uh, and how they can carry it into to next season uh, if they're going to have a little bit of a, a hibernation, if you will? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I guess my – I mean, I, I guess some people hibernate um, and take some time off in the winter. And, and I, with, with me having an indoor facility, I – and I, I just I, I say, okay, this is the time when we go to work. I call it the winter work uh, because I love to be able to make the bigger changes in their in their swings during this time of the season, so that when spring comes, they're kind of ready to go out and test the waters a little bit and see how things are going. And they've worked hard during the winter on their mechanics, or if they wanted to do any kind of swing changes, or and then also, um, you know, I do goal setting and we we reevaluate our goals at this time of the season and look and see I have a my kids put a a, you know painted a big thing on the wall that says attitude plus effort equals your outcome so I always do a little gut check on how was your attitude over the last few months and during the summer and during the season and the season play and then how was your effort and you know kind of do on the scale of one to ten how did you think you did and you know they they kind of have to be and this this applies not only to junior golfers and high school golfers but anybody but they, they can kind of you know see how they think they did and kind of say, Oh, I need, I need to really step up my effort or my, you know, my attitude was kind of poor or whatever, but, or it was really good. And this is what I got. I got good results. So uh, I, I like that. And then also I, I really think this is a great time to, to work on fitness part of, of golf and saying, um, saying, you know, how do I get in better shape, you know, over the winter months so that I can come out, you know, not having to be so sore or, you know, like, I want to work on the winter months part of that and get into better shape and maybe have, you know, work on some golf on the golf muscles. And, and that part is, is really critically important as well to, you know, to a not hurting yourself, but maybe being stronger and, and in better shape overall as a golfer. Right. Uh, well said. And that's a, that's a great point as well. Um, you know, for those that uh, want to sort of keep it going and, and maybe don't have the benefit of coming to uh, either an indoor facility like you're, you have, uh, Alicia, or uh, maybe um, aren't able to, to come down to uh, a warmer climate uh, here where, where Clint and I are in the southeast, um, there are other things that you can do, certainly keeping those golf muscles in shape. There's lots of things that you can do, uh, little drills and tips that, that you can pick up uh, from your, your uh, golf professional that will help you um, be able to work through uh, some mm-hmm. of the, the slower months. Um, John, uh, your final thoughts on that? Uh, those are great points that, that Clint and Alicia both brought up. Uh, for me, I've already – we have an indoor facility here uh, where I am in New Albany, and uh, I'm already introducing the, the golf fitness. I'm trying to, with every lesson I teach, take five to 15 minutes to incorporate because it's a little cooler now. So maybe standing out there for an hour outside is a little more difficult, but I'm getting into the golf fitness. And, and a lot of times I'm demonstrating it, showing them how I want them to do it. And, and talking about, this is not our off season. This is when, we, this is when you're going to make the most gains uh, physically. You know, you, you, this is when you can make the gains and set you up for next year to have the best year, you know, of your career. That's, that's the, the idea. And so, um, and I like to get in there and do it with them. So I think fitness is very important uh, to me, and it's very important for the game. Yeah, uh, well said. Um, well, great answers tonight, guys. Thank you, as always, for 
you know, for jumping in and doing this. And as I've said so many times over the years, I know it's not always easy uh, for us to, to be able to come together like this, uh, especially after a long, hard day at work. Uh, even on the golf course, it can be very difficult. People think this is a, a, a glamour job, and it is certainly a lot of fun and enjoyment, but it is also a lot of hard work, and uh, it can be long hours uh, in, in many cases. So uh, to have to come back and then do an hour uh, on the coach's corner panel sometimes can be a little bit difficult. So I appreciate uh, you guys always giving of your time. Um, we're going to go right down from top to bottom again. John, very quickly, let the folks know if they want to reach out to you, if they're interested in and either working with you or maybe uh, following you or connecting with you in some way. How can they do that? And then Alicia and then Clint. Uh, thanks again, Ted and Alicia and Clint for uh, the show. I've enjoyed it. Um, uh, one of the ways you, you can follow me is I'm, I, um, I am on golfswing.com. Uh, I've got a new short game series uh, called Pitch Perfect, and that's going to be coming out the 1st of November. Um, and uh, you can also follow me on Facebook under John Decker Golf Instruction. I spell my name J-O-N. Um, yeah, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn. I have videos there as well. Uh, if you're interested in lessons in Ohio, please just message me on any of those social media platforms. And my book, uh, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, can be uh, picked up at, uh, at Amazon or Barnes and Noble websites. And uh, if you're interested in any public speaking or Bible study as well, go ahead and reach out to me. I'd love to come come to your facility or church and uh, work with you. Sounds good. Thank you as always, John. Um, Alicia. Yeah, my you can reach it out to me um, at my website. There's a place to email me if you have any questions about anything that I mentioned or talked about. Uh, that's at www.gratitudegolf.com. Um, I'm also Gratitude Golf uh, LLC on Facebook. And uh, either one of those ways, you can reach out and, and connect with me. And then also um, uh, my book is available on Amazon as well. And it's, uh, I think it's, I think that, uh, I think that's the only place right now that I have it. I don't think it's in Barnes and Noble. So it's the, the missing link, the powerful role of self-talk in the mind game of golf. So, um, if anybody has any questions about that, they can contact me as well. And thank you so much, gentlemen, for your, for your input and your time tonight, too. I appreciate it. As always, thank you, Alicia, and, and uh, uh, a great book. And, uh, again, go to uh, Amazon.com if you want to uh, get a copy of The Missing Link, The Powerful Role of Self-Talk in the Mind Game of Golf. Uh, it's a great book. Um, and uh, finally, Clint, uh, how the folks can reach out to you. Uh, real simple, Ted. I'm I'm kind of old school. Just as ClintGoff001 at Yahoo.com. I'm not on any of those other sites, so you can't find me there. Uh, just uh, <laughs> send me a uh, email request, and we'll try to help you. And I, I apologize for the background. I got a new phone, and I, I didn't realize it was picking up all that background noise. But I apologize for that. But um, it uh, just. Email me, and I'll be more than happy to give you a call. Or if you can come up to South Carolina, we'd love to have you. Well, thank you, as always, uh, Clint, and uh, I was glad to have you on the show. I know you went through uh, your own storm there a little over a month ago up in South Carolina with Hurricane yeah. Florence. So I know you had to, to bail out, and I'm glad that you're, you're safe and that everything's well. And uh, I look forward to having you come on. We've only got a few more uh, coaches corners for the season and I know you'll be on at least one more before the season closes off so um, John oh, yeah. Clint and Alicia thank you yeah thank you as always for, for joining in the coaches corner panel I appreciate it very much uh, God bless to each and every one of you and I'll see you next time thanks Ted absolutely see you next time guys we'll see y'all bye thank uh, you bye thanks.
All right, that was my very special guest on the Coach's Corner panel tonight, John Decker, Alicia Larson, and Clint Wright, uh, always uh, giving their best here on the Coach's Corner panel. And speaking of which, as I mentioned a little bit earlier on uh, in the broadcast, uh, I've got a, a great sponsor that uh, sponsors the, uh, the Coach's Corner panel, uh, golfswing.com. Uh, they've been sponsoring it now for uh, beginning of the month of October, and obviously we had a couple of shows that uh, didn't air as a result of uh, the Hurricane Michael and, and also, as I mentioned, a uh, personal uh, uh, tragedy in my family. So obviously it was off the air for a couple of weeks, but they've been uh, very gracious in, in uh, coming on board and sponsoring the Coach's Corner panel. So let me just uh, let you listen to a, a brief uh, advertising message from our sponsor tonight on uh, Coach's Corner panel, golfswing.com. Are you finally ready to improve your golf game? Golfswing.com is changing the way golfers learn online. With the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet, Golfswing.com can help you improve every part of your game. Whether you want to gain more distance, hit it closer, or just sink more putts, Golfswing.com staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need. Watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better Scoring lower, having more fun, and saving money. Get your fix on demand at golfswing.com. All right. As I mentioned, that was uh, tonight's uh, sponsor of the Coach's Corner panel, golfswing.com. Go to golfswing.com and check out their online video uh, academy. It's a great one, a lot of great teach professionals. And as I also mentioned earlier, John Decker, who uh, was one of the panelists tonight, is one of the featured uh, Coach is there. He's an instructor with GolfSwing.com, so you want to make sure you check it out. All right, I, I've got a gentleman, a young gentleman that's coming on the show tonight. He's been on before a few years ago, uh, and his name is Ricky Potts. He's the director of marketing at the Tiburon Golf Club at the Ritz Carlton, uh, excuse me, Ritz Carlton Golf Resort in Naples, Florida. Uh, he's also a member of the CMAA or FLCMAA, which is of course the um, the Club Management uh, Association of America, and he's a member of that. He's also the owner of Google Plus uh, Golf Acu- uh, Community. Uh, Ricky also hosts a show on YouTube called Hashtag Wednesday Match Play, uh, presented by Eat Sleep Golf, which is also uh, available at iTunes and Google Play as a podcast. Uh, he also looks to add uh, more shows like Emergency 9 to his channel in 2019. Uh, he's a certified beer server, uh, is also obsessed with uh, electronic dance music. We'll talk to him a little bit about that. Uh, likes to work out, as we all do, and tries to play golf a few times a week. And he's also a big Tiger Woods fan. So, in fact, he says he's the biggest fan. So we'll talk to him a little bit about that. So please uh, help me welcome my very special guest, Ricky Potts. Ricky, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. It's been a couple of years since we've talked, and I was excited whenever you reached out. And looking forward to spending the next hour with you chatting about all those things you just mentioned. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to try and get as many of them in as possible. You've got quite a few things, and we're going to talk ab- about some other things as well. Um, but let me just ask you this uh, first and foremost, because I know the last time when you were on, uh, if memory serves me correct, I know you, you work with Troon or have been working with Troon uh, Golf over the years, and I believe you were out west. Is that correct? I was. So I spent three years in the corporate office um, in Scottsdale, and long story short, I was looking for my next opportunity, raised my hand for a couple of different positions, was a phone conversation away from going to Abu Dhabi in the Middle East, and 
that position didn't make sense at the time. Went to Europe for vacation, come back, saw Tiburon Golf Club at the Ritz-Carlton Golf Resort Naples pop up, and yada, yada, yada. Seven weeks later, I'm packing packing my bags, selling my house, and moving to Naples. And that was about two years ago. Uh, two years ago next week, as a matter of fact. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty quick. Um, you know, I know uh, Tiburon is a, is a great uh, golf course in the Naples area. I know a lot of people that are familiar with it, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. In fact, there's some uh, great events, one that uh, I think just happened here recently. Uh, I want to get you to, to talk a little bit about that and then some of the upcoming events as well. Um, and uh, what I want you to do is, is explain to me what are some of the, the, the great features about Tiburon that you've come to understand? Obviously, you're familiar with it because you, you worked with Troon, and, and obviously that's, uh, um, work, they work together. But what are some of the, the key features that you really like about uh, the Tiburon Club? That's a good question, and I compare Naples a lot to Scottsdale. Uh, Scottsdale has, I mean, dozens of golf courses, and the majority of those courses are daily fee. So the idea behind that is, is you know, you can play anywhere at any time, just depending on the on your budget. Get to Naples. Naples is all private. There's only a couple of accessible clubs in Naples. Well, one of the right. clubs that's accessible, Tiburon Golf Club. So. It's a very high-end club. It's uh, yes. in season. We utilize dynamic pricing. Rates start in season January through April at $285 per player. We have a caddy program that is run by Caddy Master, which is a company that Troon acquired a couple of years ago, managed by Troon, so we're a part of that. We have a full golf membership program, so we're semi-private. Um, and, you know, and what's interesting is, we kind of look at the club and promote the club as a high-end private club that just happens to be open to the public. Uh, Naples is right. the only city in the world that has two different Ritz-Carlton towers. Both are on our campus. We have one that's mm-hmm. on the beach uh, on the Gulf of Mexico, and then we have another one that's literally right next to the golf club. And the club is, is really everything that you would want in a private club. We have nine different housing communities that are within the kind of the quote-unquote gates of Tiburon. We're not a gated community. All of the individual HOAs are, but Tiburon itself is right. not. And we've got the Ritz-Carlton. We've got a fitness center that is for members only. We have meeting space. We've got access to the pool at the Ritz-Carlton. We have tennis courts that our members can utilize. We have a spa that is inside of our fitness center. Literally anything that, and you know, a lot of private clubs have a lot of these types of amenities. I mean, you can go all the way down to to complimentary valet parking, to cookies with your lunch versus a dessert menu. I mean, there's a lot of little things right. that make us unique. And the thing that we do so well, and to the event that you talked about that we just wrapped up was something that we were able to highlight and showcase that we we have customer service that is literally second to none. And What's cool about it is that our staff, not only are they Troon associates, we've been managed by Troon for a little over two years now, but the staff really understands the why. And it's not just a job. You don't just come to work and do your job and go home. And it goes so much deeper than that. And our general manager, who's actually a very young general manager, a gentleman that I uh, was the main reason why I decided to come to Naples, just to work underneath him and to learn from him Mm -hmm. and that's what we continuously hear. People just keep saying, hey, the service, the service, the service is great. We love the service. And it's everywhere from the second that you pull your 
car out to valet through the golf shop staff to the servers in the restaurants to the guys that are staging the carts in the shark alley to, you know, the, the team that does the washes dishes. I mean, they're the nicest people in the world and they're behind the scenes. And you never see them, but we couldn't be where we are without them. And it's, it's more than right. just a golf course. And yeah, we, we, we say we're the ultimate golf experience because we really believe that we are. And we're more than that. And it's just, it's an all encompassing experience for anybody that comes, whether they're a member or a guest. And it's something that I'm just honored to be a part of. And it's, it's not hard to get up every morning and go to work when you work with such a great team that's managed by such an awesome organization that produces the course conditions that we have. I mean, we really do hit and check all the boxes at Tiburon. Well, and, and, you know, you, you mentioned something that really uh, I feel is key in, in regardless of the organization, whether it's a golf course, uh, a hotel or, or something else um, is, is that customer service. And you can have the nicest looking facility. You can have the, the, the purest putting greens and so forth. And obviously I'm referring to golf now um, out there, but if you lack in customer service, um, you're not going to get a lot of repeat business. People will come and play to a certain point, but if you don't have that good support network in place, as, as obviously Tiburon has, um, then it's not going to you know, go the distance. Because there are a lot of great courses across the United States, um, and, and I don't mean to, to you know, point fingers at anybody or anything, but there are a lot of them out there, too, that don't offer uh, the same level of customer service that, that uh, Tiburon does. So that's a, that's a compliment to, to your organization. Oh, we appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about this. So you just wrapped up the, the Troon Cup, which was just a little over a week ago. Uh, how did that go? And tell us a little bit about the event. So the Troon Cup is basically Troon's premier event. I mean, Troon has got so many things from the Troon Card to the Troon Rewards Program to the Troon Golf Academy. I mean, you name it, they've got it. And the Troon Cup is the premier event for basically Troon and Troon Privé. So a little overview, Troon has several divisions. Troon Golf is our daily fee resort division. Troon Privé is our private club division. The majority of the private clubs are who participate in Troon Cup, but every Troon managed facility is invited annually to the Troon Cup. It's a very competitive uh, two-day event. Uh, It's best ball, um, I'm sorry, uh, stroke play, four-team stroke play, best ball, gross and net. And the idea behind it is to get all of the Troon facilities worldwide, potentially, if they want to send a team, come together to play at one of the best facilities in the portfolio. And the idea behind it is Mm -hmm. every year – you try to outdo the team that had it the last year. So facilities like the gallery, which is unfortunately no longer managed by Troon, Troon North, Lake of Isles, et cetera, in the past have had it. We got the ability to host it this year. We had 264 Mm. players, about 315 people from Troon facilities as well as Troon corporate office in in, uh, Naples for the event. And it was uh, no expenses spared. We did anything and everything we could to showcase the property and the F and B was a very big part of it. We had um, a welcome reception with a live band putting course contest under lights, a floating green in one of our lakes by our clubhouse. We had every single room of our clubhouse was utilized. We had a, a wine bar upstairs outside of the golf shop. We had the pub open. We had different tasting bars from some of our vendors. And one of the coolest things that we had was, helicopter rides and i did not take oh, wow. them we've done this multiple times at tiburon where we have a helicopter land on our our ninth fairway 
take people around. Well, Rusty Seymour, who is a general manager at a Troon property in California, took a video of his helicopter ride, and it was awesome. Uh, if you check the wow. Facebook uh, Facebook.com backslash Tiburon Naples. I posted that a few days ago. And I mean, he's, it's right at sunset and he's looking out over the, over the coast. And it's just, it's unbelievable the views that they were, they were blessed to be able to see. And that was just a little value add. Right. And then they had two days right. of competitive golf plus a practice round on both our gold course and our newly remastered black course. And it was an unbelievable experience. It was my first trim cup. I've been with the company for five years and it was my first experience. And what was cool about it was to see so many people that I know from having worked in the corporate office for so long. So, I mean, everybody that was coming in from corporate I knew and seeing all of these different general managers. And it was really kind of a homecoming for me as well to have all these folks come to Naples and, and uh, participate in this event. And I heard nothing but positive feedback. We had four different teams play in the event from, from Tiburon, uh, our director of golf, and both of our head golf professionals, and our general manager had a team and to hear our members just raving. I mean, they get to see these course conditions daily, but to be able to see the right. event come to fruition, it was an unbelievable week and just really honored to have been a part of a team that put together such an awesome event. And hopefully the team that has it next year, Indian Wells golf resort out in Indian Wells, California is going to host the Troon cup in 2019. And, I don't want to say it, but we set a pretty high bar for them. So good luck to the team out there. But it was really fun to see it all happen here in Naples last week. hear me but uh i'm not uh, i'm not hearing you hey, are you are you there oh there there we are now there we are now i can hear oh, you now awesome. uh oh great yeah um so so anyways what i was saying i don't know how much you caught on it but i was basically just saying very quickly in, in recap that obviously as you mentioned indian wells and, and the west coast are going to have to represent because it looks uh, sounds like the east coast uh did a great job this year so they're going to have a high bar to uh to measure up to for sure um yeah, and what's cool now, about it is that is we we like I said before we tried to uh, we tried to outdo the team before, and if you remember about a year ago, just over a year ago, Naples was getting hit with Hurricane Irma, and our team, right. uh, a couple of members still were able to go, but we our our uh, leadership team did not get the ability to see how Lake of Isles did. So, but it's cool to be able to hear the teams from corporate say, "Hey, look, you guys did a good job, and we haven't seen anything of this good in the past." So. We, uh, we hope the team well, and Wells can outdo us, but we set the bar pretty high for them. <laughs> well, it'll be, a, it'll be a little bit of a competition, I'm sure. Um, now, I know also in, in November, uh, Ricky, you've got a, another event coming up. Uh, the CME Group uh, is coming for the Tour Championship uh, November 12th to the 18th, Tiburon. So you've got another big event coming, and tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, so that's something we host annually. It's a very cool event for us to host. It's the final event on the LPGA Tour, and it's you know 70-plus of the best LPGA Tour players, and they play on our gold course. And, I mean, it's 
unfortunately doesn't get the same amount of exposure that the PGA Tour gets, which is unfortunate because these girls are incredible players. And the list of names that have won this event, I mean, you just look at the last five years. And last year, Lexi right. Thompson missed um, missed a pretty makeable putt to to not win the CME Group Tour Championship or the race to the CME Globe. Um, you know, and it's it's just a fun event for us to be able to host, and it gets busy. A lot of people that live in Naples come out for the event. The weather's still still warm, but you know it's uh, mm-hmm. the second week in November this year, November 12th through the 18th. And at the end of the day on Sunday, somebody wins the tournament, somebody wins the race to the CME Globe, and the team, both with the LPGA and the CME, do a really good job with the social media aspect. So outside of following right. the Tiburon accounts where we're, we're posting a lot of that content, that, like, for example, the last two days, they've literally just taken the trophy. They come every morning to the clubhouse, take the trophy that's on display in our, in our clubhouse, and just take it to random local businesses to have pictures with people and turn it into kind of a social media blitz. And they were in a coffee shop. They were in an ice cream parlor. Like, it's just – it's cool. And the LPGA is trying to have yeah. fun with both their events and the tour itself some incredible talent in the field. Michelle, we unfortunately will not be here this year. Uh, she's having wrist uh, surgery or had wrist surgery. So she's not going to be in the field, right? But, you know, names like names like Lydia Ko and, and Lexi Thompson and Charlie Hull. And I mean, it's Brooke Henderson. It's, it's a great field and it basically sets us up. So the Troon cup was something that was big for us to host. Obviously that's a big deal for Troon. We did that last week. We have the LPGA November 12th through the 18th, and then December 5th through the 9th, we keep things rolling, and we have a PGA Tour event. So I, I challenge you to find another golf course in this country that hosts an LPGA event and a PGA Tour event, but yet that does it in about a five-week span. So we have the QBE oh. Shootout, which is a uh, 24-man field, an event hosted by Greg Norman that comes to us annually. Greg Norman designed both properties at Tiburon. For those of you that are uh, listening at home that like trivia, Tiburon is the Spanish word for shark. Greg Norman is the great white shark. There's a lot of shark references at Tiburon. And that's a, I mean, I can't even tell you how good this field is this year. Only 22 of the 24 names have been released. Last week I attended a media day with, with Greg and the team from, from Wasserman, who is the, the uh, company that produces the event. And they announced the first 22 names. Out of the first 22 names, 12 of those players are in the top 50 in the world. And it's, you know, guys wow. like Pat Perez and Davis Love the Third and uh, Steve Stricker, who, who spends a lot of time mm-hmm. down here in Naples, who, uh, who won last year. It's a fun event. It's a team event, three different formats. And it's just it's it's a lot of fun for these guys to, to I mean quite frankly I think it's just fun for them to come down to Naples for the week they all stay at the Ritz Carlton <laughs> and play at right. the old course for three days and uh, you know it's it's a fun event for us to be a part of from from Norman's perspective it's an event that that he's been doing for a long time this year we celebrate 30 years of this event uh, Tiburon's not been around oh. for 30 years but uh, but the event does does celebrate its 30th anniversary and we're just again honored to be able to host such an event on such a such a big scale and Lexi Thompson plays it's fun so she plays in the LPGA event obviously and she comes right Mm -hmm. back in December and plays in the QBE shootout and she's paired last year and this year with Tony Finale Tony is I mean playing better than almost anybody in the world right now he had his Ryder Cup experience a few weeks ago and 
it's just it's a really fun format, and I think for us as staff too, they utilize our our food and beverage outlets. And to walk into the pub and see Norman sitting there on the left having lunch, and to see Charlie Hoffman sitting at the bar having having a bite to eat, and to see you know he's not playing any event this year, but last year Matt Kuchar spent a lot of time in the pub and was just was such a such an ambassador for the game, and it's just cool to be able to to kind of quote unquote rub shoulders with those guys for a week and. They appreciate the hospitality going back to what we were saying earlier. And right. It's a fun atmosphere for us to be able to showcase, again, this world-class property in front of these, these PGA Tour professionals. Well, and it says, again, it goes back to what I said earlier. It goes, goes, um, really says a lot about the customer service and, and the service in general. I mean, you don't get cal- uh, players of that caliber coming back to an event, uh, even, even if they're not uh, you know, playing in it. To, to keep coming back and spending time at a facility if they're not being treated well. So that really goes, as I said earlier, uh, a lot to uh, the staff and, and the group there at, at Tiburon for all of the, the great things that they're doing. Cause you don't get uh, events coming back and you don't get, uh, you know, top players coming back year in, year out. Uh, if, if they're not happy with the situation, they'll find other events to do. So that, that says a lot again about the organization and about the, uh, event and, and how it's being operated. So um, again, uh, compliments to uh, to all the staff and that at Tiburon. Um, now there's also this one here I'm not familiar with, and you'll have to share a little bit about this. But uh, hashtag the Oven 18 Championship. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm I'm kind of intrigued. Okay, so that's fun. So when I lived in Scottsdale, uh, a good friend of mine was was coming out. Um, he came out twice for golf trips. Ended up living there for a few years, and now he's back in the Midwest. But we had this idea, let's do an event in the middle of the summer when it's 115 to 120 degrees outside. The golf courses are in great shape. It's empty. Yada, yada, yada. Let's call it the oven. Ha, ha. That's funny. I had 12 guys <laughs> playing the first one. We did 36 holes two days in a row. Myself and my friend that, oh. that lives in the Midwest were the only two that finished, and I loved the planning aspect of it, right? The next year, I, I did mm-hmm. it again. I had 24 players the next year. I did it the third year. I kind of moved it around, did some things, kind of trying to figure out the direction of it. And last year, I had it again in Arizona. It was in Tucson. I flew in for the weekend, and I had 44 players last year. I was pretty much done because I wasn't going to keep flying back to Arizona for it. It didn't financially make sense. And I decided with the help of the team at Eat Sleep Golf to do it one more time, fifth annual, fifth annual you know, let's just one more time. I brought it to Tiburon. I live here, I work here, let's keep it here, right? I ended up doing it, and I, right. I looked at the QBE shootout, I looked at how much fun that field was, and I said, all right, I'm going to do the exact same concept, 24 players, three rounds of golf, throw in the F&B, went through all of the, the different things, put together a pretty aggressive uh, package for people, and then I made it an invitational. So it wasn't open to the public. I individually reached right. out to the 23 participants, picked partners and it was a lot of fun we had three different countries represented in the field this year more than half the field flew in for the event which is a big a big statement for the success of an event that you've got people from all over the world flying to naples for a weekend and you know in october and the the event was a humongous success the golf course conditions were incredible we had perfect weather except for the pairings party I had the pairings party planned at the Ritz-Carlton Golf Resort Naples, and it poured about two minutes before the pairings party started. But we managed through and had, uh, you know, practice rounds, three rounds of golf, and just an unbelievable weekend. And unfortunately, my team didn't win. Um, I, I kind of thought I, I won the first one. I mean, let's not go back to the fact there were only two people that played in it. But 
I hadn't won it since. Right. And I honestly thought that my teammate and I had a chance this year, and we were in tied for ninth place after the first round, and then ended up getting into a tie for second after round two. We we finished uh, the top of the leaderboard for round two, and we're in second place. But in the end, my my dear friend Dan Attaway from from the Midwest and his partner Kevin Kevin Meisner from from Canada ended up winning the event and. Tip of the cap to them. They played awesome, and we just didn't make enough birdies. But if I end up doing this next year, which I still haven't decided yet, I, uh, I I'm I'm gunning for the top position next year. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I think that's uh, I think that's fantastic, and and you're exactly right. I mean, you know, you have to you have to find something that works, which you obviously have, and you once you do, you pattern it after that. And then you just continue to to work at it to build to make it e- better each and every year. And and I have no doubt, Ricky, that you'll you'll grind it out and and be in that top position again. Uh, hopefully, it'll be for next year. Uh, but that sounds like a, an interesting event and a great concept. And I, I love the idea. Um, I, I want to move on because I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your show, uh, match. Uh, uh, sorry, um, hashtag Wednesday Match Play. Tell us a little bit about that. How that came about. Uh, and what was your thought, and, and really what's the premise of the program? So that's that's a fun thing for me, and and I'll start by saying I get nothing out of this financially, and that's okay. I mm. do it because I love the game of golf, and I love talking to people about golf. And the show started six years ago. In 2012, it started with the Google Plus Golf community that you mentioned uh, a little bit ago. Right. Uh, unfortunately, Google has decided that in the next – nine, 10 months, they're going to kind of pull the plug on Google plus, which is unfortunate right. The Google plus golf community has got over 26,000 active members that post and share and engage with content in golf daily. And I'm going to be sad to lose that. But the, at the time I started doing what was called the Friday foursome. It was an event that I did every Friday afternoon. I had myself, two other members of the community, the same two gentlemen each week, and then a guest. And we talked about golf. Then it got a little serious, and season three got a little more serious, and then I ended it. It wasn't it wasn't making sense. I was putting too much time into it. The team at East Sleep Golf, who was also involved in hashtag the Evan 18 Invitational, said, hey, you can't stop. This is a great concept that has a lot of legs. That led to us trying to come up with an idea for a new show. That's what led to the hashtag Wednesday Match Play. I'm all about hashtags. My nickname in the office is hashtag yeah. Ricky. I'm obsessed with social media. <laughs> I mean, my God, my vacations are hashtags. My golf tournament's a hashtag. I mean, my show is a hashtag. The fact that I'm going to have a new show that you alluded to, the Emergency Nine, I don't have a hashtag for that. I should. So the idea behind the hashtag Wednesday Match Play is the same concept as the Friday Foursome. It's just me and a guest. 25, 30 minutes, depending on how long the guest wants to talk, 18 questions about golf. And the idea behind it is right. just to learn about brands, introduce new brands that might not be popular yet, or to revisit right. old brands. But, you know, Ben Hogan Golf came on a few a few episodes ago. They're kind of in a resurgence. They have a new model for their, for their golf clubs. And I had a, a, a team member from Ben Hogan Golf to come on to talk about their clubs. And it was an awesome conversation. And Every single week, it's something totally different, and it's all golf-related. Yep. But the idea behind it is to share their stories with my audience, and it's growing. It's on YouTube every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard. The episodes come out. And then it's also on iTunes and Google Play, which is a really cool thing that is fairly new for me, is getting into the whole 
podcast concept. I listen to about 10 different podcasts religiously, and I've never thought about having my show audio only. Well, it might make sense. If you don't want to look at me, you can just listen to me talk. So the idea behind (laughs) it is to get those same episodes in a video format, get them into iTunes and Google Play. And because of that, through actually a funny story, I interviewed a gentleman um, a couple of years ago uh, who Gabriel Aloisi, runs a another podcast called Private Club Radio, which working in a private club, I connect with that content. Had him on the show. It was the first time he had been on a video interview, and we headed off, became quick friends. He lives in Tampa. We're real close, played some golf together. About a year and a half ago, we developed a, a – he developed and invited me to be the first show on his network of shows. So we have a syndicated network of podcasts called the Golf Radio Network. So it's his show. It's my show. He's got a golf kind of equipment review show. He just announced a new show with a duo from the UK. And the idea behind that is just to to, to get exposure for our, our separate concepts and to just collectively share ideas and our content with each other's networks. And it's been really fun to see it grow. I'm through three seasons. I have uh, – Next week, I have a gentleman who I actually have known online for a long time, Andrew Workman. Met him actually at Troom mm-hmm. Cup. He's coming on the show. He's part of the um, a hole-in-one foundation that, that does prizes right. if you, you make a hole-in-one in events. And then I've got uh, the season finale the week after that. And then we'll take a few weeks off uh, over the holidays, kind of get caught up. And then season four will kick off at the, uh, at the start of the year. And this is actually a very big announcement that I haven't told anyone yet, which is kind of cool that I can do this here on your show. But mm-hmm. season four and onward, the show will also be available on Spotify. So anybody that out, that's out okay. there that listens to music or podcasts on Spotify, the show will also be available on Spotify for just even more reach and exposure for the guests. And, you know, it's funny, I, I was sitting here taking some notes before we got started talking and I haven't had you on the show, and that's just – how is that even possible? So just so you know, you're coming on my show in season four, so be ready for that. Well, well I would love to. I would, I would be honored to, to do that. Um, you know, one of the interesting things, um, Ricky, that, that you, you've mentioned here tonight and that, uh, you know, about the importance of social media. You know, for me, social media – um, I, I don't do a lot of personal things. I mean, I do some things, but I, I limit it very, uh, very much. And it's not so much because I'm a private person, but for me, social media is more of a business tool for getting the messages that I want to get out. And obviously I've been doing my show, uh, for a while now as well. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be going to my seventh season next year. But one of the things that I do is it's a way of really, uh, introducing my audience to, um, a variety of different um, ideas. You know, <clears throat> for for golf, the main programs that we have out there, obviously, is the Golf Channel uh, and ESPN Golf and a few other major brands like that. But they tend to focus primarily on the tours and, and tour players and things like that, which is great. Um, but I wanted to, for me, I wanted to focus on, as you mentioned a moment ago, really on a lot of these other great brands and individuals out there in the golf industry that maybe don't always get a voice. And I've listened to a lot of different podcasts as well, and I've, I've watched uh, and listened to yours as well. Uh, and I find it very interesting. And, uh, but there are a lot of them out there that, that really, uh, and, and you can attest to this, it's not always easy to come up with content and things uh, each and every week. And you have to be somebody that's really 
um, willing to sort of stretch out there. And obviously you've done that very well through your social media uh, and, and making a networking contact. So, um, you know, kudos to you for, for, you know, coming up with that and, and always looking for ways to, to expand your brand. And I think you've done a fantastic job. Well, I appreciate that. And I, you know, I just, while we, while you were saying that I pulled up the schedule from this year and what's cool about it, this is the third season of the show. And I had had three seasons of the Friday foursome dating back to 2013. I had in the past, right. we'd miss a week here. We miss a week there. Well, I had told the team at East sleep golf right. going forward, we are going to not miss an episode. We'll record two, three a week. If we have to, we've not missed a week. We have been consistent. So I think that in addition yeah. to the quality of the content, plays a big part in people listening and following the show because we're always releasing an episode at 10 a.m. on Wednesday morning. So it becomes a part of hopefully right. a part of people's daily, their weekly routine on Wednesday morning. That's what's going to happen. And to your point about the content, I mean, I'm looking at the, just the, the breadth of guests that I've had. I mean, I had a gentleman from the ping corporate office. I've had, I've had actually two different guests this season from global golf post. I had, I played in a golf tournament in Bermuda, uh, a few months ago, actually, it's been, I mean, God, it's been almost a year ago now. And I had I met a gentleman there who runs a custom putter company who lives in Oregon. He came on the show. I've had the first time in the history of the show, I had a father son duo. So I had Mike Van Sickle, who is a web.com tour player. And then I'm sure you know the name, mm-hmm. Gary Van Sickle, who is a golf writer. Yep. He came on the show. I had uh, Graham Baxter. What a fun episode. The guy's an artist and I met him through him reaching out to Tiburon to do a painting for Tiburon that led to us meeting for coffee that led to him and I becoming quick friends. And just, it's, it's just cool. I mean, I've had big names, you know, like Mark Immelman was on the show from on the Mark podcast. And, you know, I've had some, some tour players, LPGA, you know, and every single guest is a story. And that's just fun for me to be right. able to share those stories with my audience. And, you know, I had Betsy King who, I'm sure you know the name, former LPGA Tour player. She's an LPGA Tour legend, quite frankly. And she's right. She runs a company called Golf for Africa. And the idea behind that is she's raising Mm -hmm. money to help give basically water to people in Africa that don't have water. Well, that conversation was incredible. That led me to, she's going to be in, in Naples in a couple of weeks for the CME. I'm meeting with her and her team to see if there's a way that we can't do more with Golf for Africa, whether it's hosting an event at Tiburon to help raise money or whether it's who knows. And that's, that's what, at the end of the day, that's what becomes fun for me to be able to meet these people through the show. And then that leads right. to potentially other, other conversations and other things just based on our networks. Um, I utilize the grant.com, which is a, it's the only free USGA handicap solution online. I've been using it for almost two years. It's awesome. I use it to track my scores. It's a social network. One day I said, why don't I get somebody from the Grint on the show? So I find the guy who owns the company, who developed the brand, who built the platform. He comes on the show. We talk for 30 minutes, and boom, there's an episode. And it's just a really cool thing for me to be able to just weekly interview these people. And I appreciate opportunities like this to come on your show to be able to to be the one answering the questions versus the one always asking the questions. So it's, it's, it's a very fun, fun thing for me. And just a little, a little side nugget um, outside of the golf space on my personal website, my blog, rickyleepots.com, which I've been doing for almost 10 years now, 
I've interviewed as of today, and I only know this because I, I looked yesterday. I have I have published 698 interviews with bands and DJs from around the world. So you had mentioned electronic dance music at the beginning of this segment. Right. I I am obsessed with dance music, and I've interviewed almost <laughs> 700 bands and DJs in written format just wow. on my website alone. So. So interviewing wow. is something that is, is near and dear to my heart and something that I hope continues um, many, many years into the future. Well, you know, and that, that's a great point, and, and it goes to what I was really getting at, the, the point that I was getting at, is you have to really enjoy what it is you do. The main reason I'm doing what I'm doing is is very similar. I mean, I obviously I have uh, a lot of great guests over the years as well, and one of the things that sort of spurned me into doing this is I remember, and I'm sure, I mean, I know we have a little bit of an age difference here, but I remember the early days of the golf channel and watching uh, Peter Kessler, who I've had the pleasure of interviewing a couple times on the show here. And he was really the original uh, um, host, if you will, of the golf channel and did a lot of great shows and was very meticulous. And, you know, I enjoyed his style, sort of a laid back, very easygoing, relaxed atmosphere and I felt it was very, very important to, to always make your, your guests feel comfortable um, and not really so much even feel like it's an interview, more as a, a conversation uh, and just a discussion you know, amongst uh, friends, if you will. And that's really what I try to do with, with my show as well. And, and I know I watched, uh, by the way, I, I actually watched the other day um, your one that you did with the, uh, about the Grint, and it was very interesting. So I'm actually going to research that a little bit more myself because I'm not as familiar with it, obviously, as you are. But uh, I'm going to take a look at it as well. It looks like a great, uh, a great se- uh, setup and system. So I'm going to check that out. Uh, and that was because I was watching your, your, uh, uh, your show on YouTube. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the fact that you're a certified beer server. What, what prompted that? So real quick before, before I answer that, you mentioned Peter Kessler. So really funny story, small, small world. So I met Peter through a company that I used to work for in Indiana, the first kind of my first, my first big boy job. And he was a part of an event that was a client of this company. Long story short, I meet him. We hit it off. We become quick friends. I haven't heard from him. haven't talked to him in a couple of years. We're friends on Facebook. Same situation. Why haven't I had you on this show? I didn't even think about having him on the show. So I reach out and I'm like, Hey, Peter, come on my show. And he's like, absolutely. Tell me when. So that's a good timing for you to say that because he is a legend in, in kind of the, the broadcasting space. He has an incredible voice as well. And, yeah. you know, he's uh, he's a great individual and he has a lot of stories. So he will be coming on the oh. show uh, in the, in the hopefully in season four, uh, if not sooner. I, I have a couple more episodes this season, so we'll see what happens. But to your, to your question about being a beer server, so it's safe to say that as passionate as I am about golf and dance music for that matter, I am equally or more so passionate about craft beer. Uh, I am obsessed with craft beer to the point that I utilize an app on my phone to track the beers that I consume. So on social media, I'm hashtag Ricky. I use an app called Untapped to track the beers that I drink. Well, the app is it's pretty cool. And the idea behind it is that you just you track beers. You track your location. You can take pictures. You can leave tasting notes, the whole nine yards. Well, I've been using that app since May 7th of 2011, and I've been traveling the world. Literally, we take beer trips all over the planet to drink beer. Since May 7th of 2011, 
just I'm going to put you on the spot. How many different beers, unique beers, do you think I've tried since May 7th of 2011? Oh, Lord. Um, I'm going to guess 1,500. More? Okay, that's, that's actually uh, – it's oh, yeah, <laughs> it's more. So as of today, and I'm probably going to have a beer or two when this in, this interview is over. As of today, I have and I and I before I tell you this number, I am religious. I have literally never consumed a beer or a taste of a beer that I've not tracked since that date. So since May seventh of 2011, I have tried 11,335 unique beers. Wow. I know that's a lot. Now, that's not wow. as high as the 15,240 <laughs> total beers that I've tried. <laughs> so there's gamification to it. There's badges you can unlock. Um, there's, there's One of the badges that you can unlock is a badge for trying 10,000 unique beers. And a cool story with that, I worked with a local brewing company in Fort Myers, Florida. We, we collaborated, did a brew day, and that beer – we we tapped for my 10,000. It was a big to-do. We had a huge event for it. And if you remember Pogs many years ago, the little the little yes. Pogs that people would collect. So the badges right. look like Pogs. So I call them Pogs for adults. And I've got nearly 5,000 of those badges. And brands and breweries can sponsor badges. So let's say that, you know, John Doe Brewing Company wants to sponsor a badge for drink this beer on this day only to unlock this badge. I will go out of my way into the ends of the earth to get that beer, to drink that beer on that day to get that badge. We have literally traveled all over the planet, flown to the other side of the planet to just drink beer to unlock badges for this app. And there is literally zero physical proof that I've done any of this because it's all done on an app on my phone. So, the, the beer server thing came about, um, it's, it's part of the, the certified Cicerone program. So the way that, that right. wine has a sommelier, beer has Cicerones. And I don't work in the beer industry, so it doesn't make sense for me to spend the money and the time to, to study and pass the certified Cicerone program. But I had a part-time job at Total Wine when I lived in Scottsdale. And funny enough, I got to Naples and just recently actually stopped working at Total Wine. I, I went back and I, I was there for a new store grand opening. And I said, Hey, I used to work at the Total Wine in Scottsdale. And a week later I was starting and I was working there for, for about, uh, about a year, just part time. But it's a, uh, it's a series of tests that you have to take. And, and once you become a certified beer server, it just allows you to say, say that and put that kind of, that uh, that credential next to your name and similar to the CMAA program that you mentioned um, earlier, it's obviously nowhere. I mean, right. It's not even in the same conversation as that program. That's a six year certification program, but it's uh, it just, it shows that in the, in the industry people that are in the beer space that, that you know what you're talking about a little bit and that you've been able to take mm-hmm. some, some proper tests and, and be able to speak and, and talk about what the beer in your glass tastes like and, Know a little bit about how it's made. Well, I got to say, Ricky, I'm impressed. I think that's uh, an incredible uh, challenge that you've taken on, and I think that's fantastic. And it's like I, you know, I said earlier, you know, when you're passionate about something, it, it doesn't feel like a job. It doesn't feel, um, you know, like there's any effort that you really have to. I mean, I know hopping from here and there to to meet those challenges obviously uh, can be quite an undertaking at times, but 
when you have a passion like that, I think that's great. That's what keeps you young and that what keeps you uh, excited and, and, uh, and, you know, want to wake up every morning and say, what, what new challenge do I have? So I think that's fantastic. And, and you know what, I love golf, but sometimes it's nice to have something outside of golf too. And, and uh, it's great that you have something outside of, of, of golf, which I know you're very passionate about. And speaking of passions, um, you indicated too that you're Tiger Woods' biggest fan. Tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's it's uh, it's next level, I think. Um, so let's go way back to let's go way way back. I don't know how old I was. I should do the math for when I tell the story. I was. I'm not going to admit this on air, but I collect something that is is very unique and random that I collect. I'm a collector. So obviously the Tiger Woods collection that I have is part of that. I was at a convention for this thing that I collect. And if you ask me off air, I'll tell you, but I was at a convention with, uh, with my family for this thing that I collect and I'm sitting at a Chili's and I'm never going to, I don't know what city or state we were in. It was not Indiana. And I, I look up and there was a big tube TV in the corner. I'm quite frankly, I'm young. And at the time I was bored and I'm like, all right, let's just get some food. I see golf on TV and I'm like, oh, cool, whatever, this is boring. And I see this, this, this black kid playing golf and I'm like, you know, the, the stigma at the time was that, you know, that African-Americans didn't play golf and, and it, was, it was unique, right? He's wearing shorts and he had a straw hat on and I'm like, he just didn't look like he fit like what golf was, right? And he hits this putt that sweeps left or right to left and it's this big, gigantic sweeping putt, and it goes in, and he does this fist pump that is the most unbelievable. He is so excited, and I don't know anything about golf. And I'm like, why is he excited? He just made a putt. Cool. And it clicked, and I was like, that. I want to know who that is. I want to follow him, and I want to play golf. And that was when he won his second U.S. Amateur at TPC Sawgrass in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. And it was the defining moment of when I was like, that's that's what I want to do. And many years later, I go to go to college. I get a degree in computer engineering, and now I work in sales and marketing in the golf business. So obviously, that was uh, the right choice of my career path. But it's all been inspired by Tiger, and and I I collect his memorabilia. If his face is on it, I want it. That's books, magazines, Wheaties boxes, posters, <laughs> pictures, you name it, and. I am not kidding. I drive a red and black car because he wears red on Sunday. And it's, it's to the point that and I, I've met him a couple of times. Um, I, I feel though before he's done before he fades off into the sunset, I need to have 15, 20 minutes with him, just him and me over coffee or whatever that looks like just to be able to tell him that story. Because I mean, I'm sure he gets bombarded with stuff like that all the time, but you know, the guy is in, my opinion and the opinion of millions more, the greatest golfer that's ever lived, bar none. He's not done. I think he's got, if he right. stays healthy, I think he's got five or seven more years of competitive tournament winning, major championship winning golf left in him. That majors record obviously means a lot to him. I think the wins record means probably more initially yeah. to get the wins yeah. record just to have that. But you know, the guy The guy has changed the shape and the face of golf. And you look at guys like Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler and Brooks Kepka and these young guys that were watching him on their on their living room floor when he was winning the tournaments that now they're playing in, that they're winning because of him. That's cool. And, yeah. You know, 
I, I got into a discussion, is what we'll call it, with a gentleman on Facebook <laughs> right after Tiger won uh, won his event a few weeks ago. And, and the guy said, oh, yeah. there's only 30 players in the field. It wasn't a full field. And I was like, hang on. It was 30 of the best players in the world at that right. time. So that, that is not only impressive, that is more impressive than winning a John Deere right. Classic where it's got 144 players that nobody's ever heard of. So I, I am Tiger's biggest fan, bar none, and I love talking about him. And, and anybody that's watched an episode of the Hashtag Wednesday Match Play, and when you come on at the Hashtag Wednesday Match Play, I'm going to ask you this. This is the second-to-last question of every single episode is, do you think Tiger breaks Jack's record? Why or why not? And the answers okay. are up, down, left, and right. And some of the best answers that I remember, Chip Essick, who is from the PGA of America, um, I would say he'll be the president of the PGA before long. Um, he was on my show a couple of seasons ago, and he said, and I love this quote, he said, if Tiger wins one more major, he'll break the record. So that's all he needs is to yeah. show himself that one, he can win again, which he's already done two that he can win major championships and I look at it I mean the guy's 42 almost 43 he is in the best shape maybe of his life and he hits the ball as far as anybody else on tour and he could win at Augusta until he's 60 he can win anywhere in Scotland until he's 60 and I just think if he can have a four five six year run where he plays as well as he looks like he's playing right now I don't think it's a even a, a conversation that he breaks that record and but again I go back to the wins record that's that's the next the next big one and I honestly think that if he gets that one that'll be a whether he gets the the majors record or not I think that the wins record will will have more longevity than the majors record just because of the competitive fields that he's playing against he's you know and Jack Jack played against four or five seven eight ten guys each week Tiger played against 35 or 40 guys that could win any given week or more, quite frankly. So right. I, as Tiger's biggest fan and as probably one of his biggest collectors of stuff with his face on it, <laughs> I really <laughs> hope he can figure out how to get that done. Well, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, obviously the win he had a few weeks ago, I think is going to really help um, solidify his confidence. Uh, a couple things I want to mention to you very quickly about Tiger uh, and then, we, unfortunately, we have to wrap up. It's hard to believe, but our time is, is coming to an end here. But two things. When you have Peter Kessler uh, on your show, uh, at some point, ask him about Tiger. Uh, he said Tiger used to lurk around the Golf Channel studios quite a bit when Peter was still working there. And I'm sure he can share some very interesting stories uh, about uh, his experiences with Tiger, not just in interviews, but off uh, camera as well. Uh, and also, just to uh, show you the impact that Tiger Woods has had, um, I've had the pleasure over the last few years of interviewing a number of up-and-comers into the LPGA. And interestingly enough, uh, you know, when I asked them about some of their influencers and, and who they looked up to and that, um, three that I can uh, comes to mind is not one of them mentioned a single female um, athlete or um, LPGA player. They all mentioned Tiger Woods. Now, these are all young ladies, of course. They're in their uh, 20s, probably, uh, or late teens. Um, But growing up, uh, when they were youngsters, their exposure to golf um, history, if you will, was Tiger Woods. And that's who they sort of looked up to, much like many golfers. Like in my generation, I'm in my 50s, you know, we looked at Jack Nicklaus. 
well, that's their Jack Nicholas for a lot of these youngsters, mm-hmm. both male and female. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of fantastic LPGA uh, legends out there. I've interviewed a number of them myself, um, but they don't see them uh, as much as they obviously have seen Tiger. So that says a lot about him as he not only has crossed, um, you know, different cultures and different races, but he's also crossed the gender gap as well um, by inspiring a lot of young females uh, to get interested in golf. And that says a lot uh, about him as an individual and about the impact he's had on this great game. Uh, so you have to ask Peter a little bit about uh, his Tiger experience. I'm sure he's got some great stories uh, about Tiger and, and other things as well. But, um, well, Ricky, uh, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and I look forward to, uh, to coming on yours in, in the future. You just let me know uh, when we can do that, and, and uh, we'll put it together. Um, very quickly, just let the folks know if they want to uh, tune in, where they can go, and how they can reach out to you through social media. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I thank you for having me on the show again. I mean, it's always fun. I've been following you online for a long time, and, and I, feel, I feel like we need to get together on the first tee. I mean, we need to go play some golf. I mean, that seems like the next best step. I mean, forget the show. I'm coming to, to play I'm, golf. I'm right? coming to Tib- yeah, I'm coming to Tiburon after hearing that great – uh, uh, great uh, comments that you said in the early parts of the segment. I've been there. I've never played there, but I've been there a few times to visit, uh, but I haven't had the opportunity. So I'm going to come down there at some point and, uh, and, uh, and, and enjoy some of the great hospitality that Tiburon has to offer. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut well, you off. Go ahead. You, no, you're fine. Tell me when you want to come down because it's, it's all yours. I'd love to show you both of the golf courses here and make sure that you get the experience that, uh, that we're trying to, to provide to our members and our guests and, the easiest way to find me is to start at my website, rickyleepots.com, and I'm Ricky Lee Potts on every social network from Google, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, you name it. And if you want to watch the show, just search for hashtag Wednesday Match Play. You can find it on the Eat Sleep Golf website. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play. I'm not hard to find. As a matter of fact, it was funny. <laughs> I was just talking to a gentleman today. I joined uh, eBay. I'm going to start trying to sell some stuff on eBay just to – see what that's like i mean like i need something else to do and i'm <laughs> ricky lee pots on ebay as well so it's uh it's a fun place to uh, fun place to, to spend some time but um, i'm not hard to find twitter i'm I'm, a, I'm addicted to twitter always got a phone in my hands and, and ready to engage and and i i love meeting people that, that get introduced to me through things like this and and through your audience and there's no question you're coming on my show you're at the top of my list and, and literally on on this piece of paper right in front of me it says get Ted on the show. So you're coming on the show in the very near future. So I, uh, I appreciate your hospitality and, and spending some time with me. It feels like we just started talking and it's been an hour, but uh, I could talk golf all day. I could talk tiger even further. And I just, I love sharing the passion that I have for this game and all the things that are involved and in what I'm trying to do to help grow the game. And, and it's just a, a fun place to be. And if I can figure out a way to make a living out of it, it's even better. And just honored to be able to call you a friend and a colleague and, Again, I look forward to seeing you on the first tee sometime here at Tiburon Golf Club in Naples, Florida. Uh, Sounds good. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking with uh, Ricky Potts, Director of Marketing at Tiburon Golf Club in Naples, Florida. And uh, I'm going to go down and pay him a visit uh, here in the near future and and, uh, get an opportunity to uh, be a guest on his show, uh, Hashtag uh, Wednesday Match Play. So, um, Ricky, thanks for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I will have you back as well. Uh, anytime that you want to come back, if you've got uh, some things to share going down at the, 
uh, going at the club or just anything or, or uh, when you hit uh, 20,000 uh, craft beers, uh, come on the show and we'll celebrate. Um, <laughs> how's that? Hey, that sounds good to me. That won't be too long. I'm going to go have a couple now to add to that list. So thank I you very to, much for the I might opportunity. Have to move it up to, yeah, I might have to move it up to 25,000 then, but um, just to give a little bit of time because you're probably already getting close a little to bumper. 20. Yeah. Uh, Ricky, all right. <laughs> Ricky, thanks a lot for coming on the show. I appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to having you come back. Hey, thank you, sir. We'll talk soon, okay? Thank you for the opportunity. No problem. All right. All right, bye-bye. All right, that was uh, my very special guest, Ricky Potts, again, the Director of Marketing at Tiburon Golf Club in Naples, Florida. Um, Also, a very quick thank you to John Decker, Alicia Larson, and Clint Wright uh, for joining me uh, earlier on the segment on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, As always, guys did a fantastic job. And uh, uh, once again, thank you to uh, sponsor of the Coach's Corner panel, uh, GolfSwing.com. Go to GolfSwing.com, check out their online video academy, and just a final word from our sponsor. Are you finally ready to improve your golf game? GolfSwing.com is changing the way golfers learn online. With the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet, GolfSwing.com can help you improve every part of your game. Whether you want to gain more distance, hit it closer, or just sink more putts, GolfSwing.com staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need. Watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better, scoring lower, having more fun, and saving money. Get your fix on demand at GolfSwing.com. All right. Again, that was a sponsor of the Coach's Corner panel, GolfSwing.com. You can uh, visit their website. And again, they've got a fantastic online video academy. academy, And as I mentioned earlier as well, uh, my good friend John Decker is one of the instructors that you'll see featured on uh, golfswing.com. So make sure you check it out uh, and join today. Uh, On that note, I want to thank all of you for faithfully tuning in each and every week here to the program. And again, uh, it's good to be back on on air, uh, certainly miss doing the shows, but uh, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, uh, understanding, uh, understanding, uh, considering uh, some of the uh, things that have gone through the last couple of weeks, uh, personally and and also um, uh, in, in regionally. Uh, so thank you for being patient and understanding, and thank you for joining me tonight. I look forward to uh, having another great show next week with, uh, of course, the Coach's Corner panel and another uh, interesting guest on the show to follow. So God bless everybody, and have a great uh, weekend. I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless.